morning, South. My name is Rob. For those of you who don't know me, many of you do. And as many of you know, my family and I were 36 hours away from boarding a plane to the French-speaking world. It was Thursday afternoon, December 17th, 2015, a few months ago, when I received the news, the official diagnosis that I have cancer. We spent the following 24 hours trying to get our flights, uh, our tickets refunded, uh, replan our Christmas break, figure out what we were going to do, in short, to regather the shattered plans um, that we had and, and, and try to re reorganize them somehow. So our plans are shattered. What now? Are we still going to France? Are we going to Quebec? This is my wife, Martine. She asked me not to ask her to walk up here on stage, so I'm I'm the outgoing one in the couple here, so my son Caleb, my daughter Constance, and that, I don't know who the other guy is, um, <clears throat> but we speak French. Uh, we have led French-speaking church plants in French-speaking Quebec, Canada since 2003. Uh, we were able to pass the baton of leadership to local leaders in 2014, and uh, we were on a journey to, to uh, explore other possibilities in the French-speaking world. Throughout this process, I had the privilege of traveling to places like North Africa and to France and see the amazing things that God is doing in those parts of the world, and we thought that we had a plan in place that kind of made sense, and so we were actually looking forward to moving forward with that. <clears throat> I began uh, chemotherapy in February, and uh, we'll finish the sixth cycle this month. I'm two-thirds of the way through my sixth chemo cycle right now as I stand in front of you. So first of all, what I'd like to do is I'd like to thank South Fellowship for walking with us through this journey. Ryan and Kelly, thank you. The elders, Aaron and Allison Bjorklund, Gary and Stacy Poole, Chris and Carrie Wynn, Pete and Sue Muckley and the missions team, thank you. Jerry and Debbie Suits, Tim and Kajo, Yvonne Beal and the Summit, B. Hennington, and many, many other people, as well as friends and churches all around the United States and around the world who have prayed for us and walked with us. Thank you. This journey was unexpected, but many of you are also on unexpected journeys. You had a plan that made sense, and that plan was ripped out of your fingers, and everything changed. It was a violent reminder this world is not the gentle place that we thought it was. Soon after my diagnosis, I was on the phone with one of my sisters, and she was crying. And between sobs, she was telling me how for the first time in her life, she realized to what degree our physical bodies are affected by sin, down to the molecular or the cellular and molecular level. Sin has marred even our very biology. Sickness, cancer, aging, and death. Sin has infiltrated the physical biology of creation, this bondage of decay. I can follow all the rules. I can work hard to have good relationships. I can work out. I can eat right. And sooner or later, the effects of sin are going to get me. I cannot get away from this. We're all going to age. We're all going to get older. We're all going to face death unless Jesus comes first. It reminds me of Romans 8, 20 to 22, where we see that the, the creation was subjected to frustration. 
the bondage to decay. <clears throat> the whole creation has been groaning as in, a, in the pains of childbirth. Timothy Keller states it this way. He says, no matter what precautions we take, no matter how well we have put together a good life, no matter how hard we have worked to be healthy, wealthy, comfortable with friends and family, and successful with our career, something will inevitably ruin it. Yeah, not a cynic. But scripture is realistic. The Bible is realistic. It gives us example after example of people who have walked through life, who have walked through a world distorted by sin. And this morning, we're going to explore three truths that replace the fear of the unexpected with the confidence of the certain. There are three truths that give us confidence as we explore our unexpected journeys this morning. Number one, God moves in the unexpected. We are not abandoned. Number two, God holds us through the unexpected. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And number three, God overcomes the unexpected. Death will not win. God, we pray this morning. We know you gave us your spirit. And we pray that you would not leave us unaffected. Invade our, our thoughts, our emotions, our understanding of truth this morning. Let us walk out changed. Amen. So number one, God moves in the unexpected. We are not abandoned. Our, pl our plans have been shattered. <clears throat> our journey has been diverted, but... God is still working. He is accomplishing a greater plan, and we see this all throughout Scripture, throughout the world around us and even in our own lives. And one example is the prophet Daniel. The prophet Daniel, when he was young, he was probably between the ages of 12 to 16 years of age, he was ripped out of his, his home, his family, his home city out of Jerusalem, his country, and he was forced to march as a POW from Jerusalem all the way the hundreds of miles to Babylon. And why is that? Well, in Babylon, he was one of the principal people that was proclaiming the great name of the one true God to the entire known world. But I wonder, I wonder what Daniel would have been like if he'd grown up in a normal family situation in Jerusalem, playing t-ball and going to school. I wonder what Daniel would have been like if he had never felt the terror as he looked out over the Jerusalem wall to see the most uh, impressive military machine in the world, the Babylonians, trying to get in to rape, pillage, burn, and destroy. I wonder what Daniel would have been like if he had never seen the wall breached and the Babylonian army got in and began to rape, murder, kidnap, and burn down the, the communities and the buildings where Daniel had played as a child. I wonder what Daniel would have been like if he hadn't been chained and forced to walk as a POW with thousands of others, the hundreds of miles, and seen people whipped and tortured and die along the way. If his character hadn't been forged in a way that replaced his fear of death with a fear of God. 
Ruth is another example. There are so many. But Ruth, the woman of excellence. So Ruth had had her dreams crushed when she was unable to have children. Then her husband died. Then her brother-in-law died. Then her father-in-law died. Then, grieving, she followed her mother-in-law to an unknown land. After walking as an outcast during her lifetime, Ruth became the great-grandmother of the greatest king of Israel, David, and the ancestor of the king of kings, Jesus. I wonder what the character that was forged in her soul as she walked through the valley of the shadow of death again and again. I wonder what kind of mother she was when she finally gave Boaz a child. The joyous tears born through the sweet sorrow must have been impossible prior to her journey through the valley of the shadow. I wonder, following the crucible of joy, how the legacy of her faith must have rolled like a tsunami through over her children, her grandchildren, and her great-grandchildren. And I wonder, King David and his remarkable faith, how much of that faith could be traced back directly to his great-grandmother and the way God forged her character through grief. What about today, things going on today? And I think about something like ISIS and I have so many friends who are working in the Middle East and who are working in, in parts of Eastern Europe and North Africa and other parts of the world telling amazing stories of what God is doing. Well, I'd like to share with you just one story, and this is the story uh, of Josh. Because of ISIS, millions of Muslims who were almost impossible to reach with the gospel, who had never in their life met a Christian, now they're going to places that we can take our families on vacation to. Places like Germany and Austria, Italy, Greece, Spain. I'd take my kids there. So this is the story of Josh in Madrid. He was in his early 20s, and he decided to give a year or two to follow Jesus and serve him overseas. And as a parenthesis, I would encourage every single person who's follow, a follower of Jesus to try, if you have the opportunity, to go overseas for a year or two, even if you don't stay your entire life. But that period of time as you follow Jesus and you serve him overseas will affect and transform the way you see the world for the rest of your life. So this is the story of Josh. I'd like to read it to you. Josh in Madrid. Mansira, lies, the three of them shouted in unison. Up till this point, it had been a very calm conversation, so naturally this took me off guard. How could God become a man, asked the father. And how could so much power be contained in human flesh, jibed the grandfather. No, 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 this is illogical, said the mother. God could not become a human. Perhaps I should back up. Every week I teach English to two Iraqi boys in their family's restaurant in Madrid, Spain. It is a family event. The father, the mother, and even the grandfather sit in on the lessons most days. One very unique day, the grandfather asked me if I knew who the prophets were. I responded that I did know who the prophets were. I'd read about them in the Bible. And he proceeded to tell me that Adam and John the Baptist were the greatest of all the prophets and that the others, such as Moses, Jeremiah, Jesus, and Muhammad, were the lesser prophets. 
I inquisitively asked, (laughs) how can Jesus be lesser than Adam? Because Adam fell into sin, yet Jesus never sinned. And this prompted one of those golden questions from the grandfather that a missionary prays to hear. (laughs) Well, who do you believe Jesus is? At that moment, one of the boys stood up to go outside and play, and the father scolded him. Sit down and listen to what the teacher has to say. (laughs) Well, now I had three generations of a precious Iraqi family listening intently to me for me to answer the most important question in human history. I decided to start at the very beginning. God is all-powerful, perfect, holy, and the creator of the universe, I said. They all agreed. God created man in his own image, but man rebelled and fell into sin, I continued. They all agreed. Because God is perfectly just, he cannot allow sin to go unpunished, nor allow a sinner to enter heaven, I pushed on. And they all agreed. But God loves humanity and was not willing to leave man lost in his sin. God wants to save humanity. I drew even closer to the climax, and they still agreed. So God took on flesh and became a human named Jesus. Lies! The three adults shouted in unison, the grandfather even standing to his feet to emphasize the point. It was as if I had hit a spiritual wall. They were willing to accept the gospel message until Jesus entered the scene. Jesus was a stumbling stone for them. They allowed me to explain myself, but they could not overcome the audacity of the idea that God became a man. To them, it was foolishness. As the three adults were debating my claim amongst themselves, the boy walked over and whispered in my ear, Prophet! Prophet! Do you believe that Jesus is God? Yes, I do. So do I. (laughs) He whispered. He smiled and ran back to his seat. There is hope. There is grace. It will not be any fancy words I saw that convinces this family of the truth. Rather, it it will be the saving work of Jesus as affected through the calling of the Spirit on their hearts. And, and, and this whole story, it's incredible to me. There are so many parts of this, but one of them is the fact that this family is an Iraqi family that because of the chaos in the Middle East, they had to leave their homes and travel thousands of miles on an unexpected journey all the way to Madrid, Spain. And that is where they're hearing about Jesus Christ. Annette, my next-door neighbor, she began chemo the day before I did. She's originally from French-speaking Canada, and now she lives 20 feet away from us in Colorado. Is that ironic? We've been praying together, talking together, crying together. A couple days ago, she looked at me with tears in her eyes, and she said, God, I know why God gave me cancer. Okay, she's not, she, as far as I know, she would not call herself a Christian or a follower of Jesus or something, but 
walking through this process, she said, God, she said, Rob, I know why I have, had, I have cancer. It is so that I can grow closer to God. And as a result of cancer and chemo, she is closer to God today than she has ever been in her entire life. And she's full of joy. Is cancer horrific? Absolutely. Is God using it in Annette's life? Unequivocally. So when we look back on these journeys, the journeys of Daniel and Ruth and Josh and Madrid and Annette, my next door neighbor, it gives us confidence in our own journeys. These unexpected journeys, they're not wasted. God can, has, and will use them both for our good, for the good of those around us, and for his glory. Romans uh, chapter 5, 3 to 5 says this, poor Paul says, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. We can be transformed through the crucible of suffering. My friend Kathy, she talked about walking through her mother's death. She said, what I walked through was for the kingdom of God. And now I can be used by these different experiences for the kingdom of God. And she also said, God doesn't waste our pain. It is used for his kingdom if we allow it to be used. Charles Dickens put it this way, he said, suffering has been stronger than all other teaching and has taught me to understand what your heart used to be. I have been bent and broken, but I hope into a better shape. As for us and our family, uh, do we know what is next? France, Quebec, no, we don't know. But we do know this is part of a journey of preparation, that which is next that which we don't know, but we put our trust in God. He is trustworthy, and he is moving even in the unexpected. Now, there are people who, would, who say, and we hear this all around us, okay, and you've, you've heard this, you see it, and, and, and I've met people who say things, they're, they're actually well-meaning sometimes, but they would say things like, um, if I just had enough faith, then I either would be healed of my cancer, I would not have had cancer in the first place. You've heard this, right? And they'll take verses like Matthew 9, 29, where Jesus says, according to your faith, it will be done to you. And that's true. I mean, it, in Matthew 9, 29, Jesus said this to do blind men, that they were healed according to their faith. This is true. And it is true that around the world today, and I know people and I have stories of people who have been healed according to their faith. I know that. That is true. But it's a little more complicated than that. What about the stories all throughout Scripture of people of faith who were not healed? And there are many. What about a story like, say, Matthew 9? where these people are actually, they're healing and casting out demons. And then Jesus says, get away from me, I never knew you. These are not people of faith, and they're healing people. It's a little more complicated than that. What about um, 
Every single one of the 12 apostles that followed Jesus, every single one of them, they suffered, and all but one died a horrific death. Are we to say that none of the apostles who gave their lives for the name of Christ were men of faith? I think not. Mark Knoll, Christian historian, he says this. He says, they, American evangelicals, too easily assume that the ordinary Christian life is one of prosperity, triumph, and success instead of marginality, poverty, and worldly failure. But God is moving. He's moving in the unexpected. We're not abandoned, and God holds us through the unexpected. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Uh, turn with me to Romans chapter 8, verse 35, if you have a Bible with you. Romans chapter 8, verse 35. And, and in this text we're going to read, we see Paul saying that we are more than conquerors. What, what does Paul mean when he says that we are more than conquerors? What does that mean? Well, he most certainly does not mean that we will live lives of financial prosperity, physical peace, and emotional tranquility. He must mean something else, something that supersedes these things, something that is unshakable even in the midst of cancer and conflict and suffering and death. Romans 8.35, here's the Apostle Paul. He says this. He says, who shall separate us? If you read with me. Though, who is us? Th those who have put their faith in Christ, who love Christ. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, no. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So being more than a conqueror does not mean that I am spared these things. Being more than a conqueror means that in all these things, I cannot be separated from the love of Christ. Regardless of what happens, if I put my faith in Jesus, I am living in the shadow of the effects of the cross and these effects permeate every aspect of my reality. I am connected to the love of Christ and nothing can separate me from him. Working as a pastor, I've sat and prayed with many people who are facing death and have been amazed. As everything was slowly ripped away from them, even then the love of Christ shone through their entire being. I think of Gilles in Quebec, who's part of our church. He, he was a man that he was known for his anger and his bitterness. And then one day he turned to Jesus Christ and he surrendered himself to Christ and Christ transformed him. He was married to Nancy. They had a young son. And when he turned to Christ, his eyes softened. He became gentle. He became a lover of his wife, a lover of Jesus. He proclaimed the name of Jesus. It was amazing. And, and I still remember the, the Easter morning, Sunday morning, our, our church in St. Jerome, we had rented a community center for that Easter. And Gilles was an energetic part of our setup team. And that morning, 
um, as we're setting up, several people looked at him and, and said, Jill, you, your eyes look really yellow and your skin looks yellow and there's, there's something wrong here and, and encouraged him to go to the hospital and have it checked out. And he did. And, uh, and the, long story short, they found cancer and uh, there was nothing the medical establishment could do other than um, try to make it as painless as possible. And the process with Gilles was brutal. Death is horrific. But he did not fear death. His eyes, though grieved, were flooded with hope. He was connected to the love of Christ. Nothing could separate him from the love of Christ. And the love of Christ carried him through death. Gilles died in peace with hope. I think of Michel. Uh, Michel was a man that only had weeks to live. He was in the hospital and terror engulfed every inch of his being. He would wake up at night screaming with nightmares, so afraid of death that he would actually, he, he, he would dig his fingernails into his skin unknowingly and his, his arms were bloodied and scarred as a result of his terror. He knew that I was a pastor and so he wanted to talk to me about death and find out what the Bible had to say about death. You can imagine that meeting in the hospital. The moment of truth. For the first time in his life, Michel learned why God came to this earth in the person of Jesus. Jesus took the consequences of sin on himself on the cross for evil men all throughout history and for us. Michel, if he surrendered himself to, the to Jesus on the cross, would no longer face judgment for the evil he had done. Jesus had already taken that judgment on himself on the cross, and that is why the cross is so horrific. Uh, because God, the, on the cross, it was God's wrath for all uh, evil throughout all of history, for all of humanity, against all evil people, directed on Jesus on the cross. And he took it. Jesus offered forgiveness to Michelle. Jesus offered love in the place of judgment. I asked Jesus, I'm sorry, I asked Michelle if that is what he wanted. Did he desire to admit his guilt, turn it over to Jesus, and accept the gift of life offered to him? Yes, 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 he did. We prayed together, and the transformation was immediate. His eyes glowed. The tension melted away. Confusion became hope. Terror became peace. The nightmares stopped, and Michelle was now connected to the love of Christ. Nothing could separate him now. He died two weeks later. He was no longer terrified. He was at peace. Once we have been connected to the love of Christ, nothing can separate us. We are living in the effects of the cross. While these things are happening to me, Christ's love is tied to me, sealed to me. So Paul goes on, if you look in your Bibles, where he says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Death 
can't not separate me from the love of Christ. A difficult, suffering life of sickness and pain cannot separate me from the love of Christ. Supernatural, angelic beings cannot separate me from the love of Christ. No evil, demonic forces can separate me from the love of Christ. Nothing in my present life can separate me from the love of Christ. No fears of what the future may bring can separate me from the love of Christ. Nothing great or small can separate me from the love of Christ. There is nothing in the universe that is powerful enough to separate me from the love of Christ. God moves in the unexpected. God holds us through the unexpected. And... God overcomes the unexpected. Death will not win. So these stories are churning through me last January. I, I was diagnosed with T-cell histiocyte-rich B-cell non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. We all know what that is, right? It's a pretty aggressive form of lymphoma. So I was diagnosed, but then I had to wait a few weeks to find out the results of my CT scan, bone marrow biopsy, and PET scan. And waiting is difficult. So my, my second biopsy had confirmed that I was at least had stage one cancer. Um, the CT scan confirmed that I had at least stage three cancer, but I still had to wait for the bone marrow biopsy and the PET scan. And uh, we don't know. Has this affected my major organs? Has this affected my bone marrow? Uh, are those going to come back and say, hey, Rob, you're at stage four. You have three months to live, just like other people that I've walked this path with. But I had to wait a few weeks. And the realization set in, this could kill me. I could picture Gilles as he faced death with peace and joy. I could, I could picture Michel in my mind as his terror that was transformed into peace. And now it was my turn. It's one thing to sit with somebody facing death. It's one thing to stand up here and speak confidently about death. And it's a totally different thing to lay in your bed at 2 a.m. and wonder if you're going to live long enough to see your children graduate from high school. So all day, every day, my mind kept replaying my conversations with Gilles and Michelle and others. Yes, yes, we face death now, but that is not the end. God will ultimately triumph over death. 2 Corinthians 4.14 says that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus. So we still grieve but we grieve with hope. There is a resurrection day that is coming in the future. And on that day, the resurrection, when we are physically brought back from the grave, this physical body will be clothed with the kind of physical existence that is not infected by sin, sickness, cancer, and death, will no longer hold the trump card. We will outlast all of these. 1 Corinthians 15, 53 says that the perishable, which we have right now, the mortal we have right now, the perishable must, must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. That's coming. 
We know the knockout is coming. We know that death will be rendered completely powerless. That day is coming. And so today what we can do is we can look death square in the face and say, is that all you got? This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. His version is, where, O death, is your victory? Where again, O death, is your sting? Timothy Keller says, but resurrection is not just consolation. It is restoration. We get it all back. The love, the loved ones, the goods, the beauty. See, he's not just a cynic, okay? (laughs) He's living in reality. The beauties of this life, but in new, unimaginable degrees of glory and joy and strength. Have that to look forward to. As many of you have heard, I've had a positive test results uh, on my last PET scan. They, they found no lymphoma. Okay? That's... This is great news. Yes. But make no mistake, we are not out of the woods. Over the next two years, there will be a gradual deceleration of doctor's appointments, blood tests, CT scans, and PET scans. And according to some studies, the five-year survival rate for this kind of lymphoma that I have is about 50%. Also, according to some studies, the recurrence rate in six, after six months is about 25%. So what does that mean regarding our next steps, possibly moving to France or moving somewhere else? We don't know. So what we're going to do is we're actually asking you and people around us if over this summer we would turn that into a very intentional time of seeking God's face and asking him to reveal to us what those next steps should be. Because we don't know. He does. But what God has done for me through this process is make me cognizant of death This body may not last another six months. It may last another five years. It may last 40 years. Death is right in front of my face. But because of the resurrection, I do not need to fear it. And you, on your unexpected journey, you do not need to fear either. Just as Gilles and Michelle faced the ultimate test with confidence and peace, you can face the unexpected journey knowing God is moving, God is holding you, and the confidence that God will overcome. Christ died on the cross. He died for our sins. He died to conquer sin, death, and our spiritual enemies. And when we put our faith in him, we receive his spirit. We receive the promise of eternal life. We join his kingdom, part of what he is doing here on this earth, part of this greater story. We look back, but we also look forward. We look forward to the day when death will no longer We look forward to when Christ comes back and we look forward to the resurrection. David Bosch said this, uh, our future resurrection is not merely a future reality toward which we are on the way, but it has invaded and permeated our earthly historical existence and is in the process of transforming where we are right now. 
Right now, we are free to live in the in-between. So what does this mean? The in-between, the cross on one side, the resurrection and the coming of Jesus on the other side. This means that I can lift my eyes past today and tomorrow. This means that I can risk today in the midst of the unexpected. This means that I can love someone difficult. This means I can lift my eyes above my struggle with anxiety and depression because it will, it will one day end. I do not have to hurry today. My time is unlimited. I can go overseas to a difficult people without fear because the cost is not as great as I thought. People are more important than anything. I am free. Do you smell it? Can you taste it? The wind of the freedom of the resurrection is blowing through this place. Free of fear, free of anxiety, free to be radical, free to love, free to pursue, free to hope, free to live in the in-between, free to dream, free to follow Jesus, knowing I will be with him forever, no matter what. And as John Donne so aptly put it in his poem, death Thou shalt die. celebrate the death of death that through the Lord's Supper, where we remember the death of Christ until he comes. So with this bread and cup, we are remembered, we remember, we are remembering and stepping into the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And we are looking forward to our resurrection in Christ's coming. So all here who are followers of Christ, those who have put their faith in Christ as the one and only Savior, you're welcome to participate. Feel free to take the bread and eat it individually. And then, and there's gluten-free bread on this side over here. In the green. And then, hold on to your cup. We're going to drink the cup together as a symbol of the unity that we have as the body of faith, celebrating the fact that this blood, this blood bought our freedom and signals the end of death and a coming resurrection. So I would invite you to 